Hi there, thank you for tuning in to the Talking Points podcast. My name is Luca Host and I'm the Influencer Marketing Manager at Influo. And I am Martin Kesteloots. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Influo. So maybe to quickly describe what Influo is for all you listeners out there. Influo is an influence marketing platform that connects brands and influencers. So our tool helps you to find influencers, manage campaigns and get transparent reporting on those collaborations. Uh, we've been around since 2014, which is quite an eternity in this quickly uh, changing industry. So how are we different than all the other tools out there? Because uh, yeah, there are a lot of tools out there. Well, two main reasons. First of all, we don't scrape data. So all our influencers know that they are on our platform because they, they have to connect their social media accounts through an API. And this ensures a completely different dynamic between brands and influencers. And secondly, because we're especially strong in the Netherlands and Belgium, so it's our, it's our home market, so that makes sense. But we're rapidly gaining experience in uh, other countries as well. So I guess people can imagine uh, what I do as a CEO of a, of a software company. But what about Luca? Can you describe what you do at Influo so our listeners know what to list, what they, who they're listening to? Sure. So I'm the influencer marketing manager and that basically kind of puts together several tasks. Um, in essence, to describe it, my job is to make sure that everybody's happy and everything goes well on the side, both of the brands and the influencers. So I offer support to the brands to help them develop the best strategy for their campaigns and projects. And on the other hand, uh, on the other side, I help the influencer uh, with any kind of advice that they need and offer them support to make sure their collaborations go as successfully as well. So it's kind of like a project manager meets community manager all in one. Oh, thank you for that, Luca. So uh, let's get started and talk about this week's Influence Marketing News. So this week's Influence Weekly News letter was pretty lengthy. So we picked the topics that spoke most to us. So let's start with some of the key highlights of last week's stats. According to the 2019 Influencer Survey, 71% of influencers on Instagram don't actually call themselves influencers. Indeed, uh, I don't find that actually that shocking. I think there's quite a negative connotation to the word influencer uh, from what we see and what we know. I think when you hear influencer, it makes kind of a lot of people roll their eyes <laughs> and uh, smirk at it. So I can understand that there are a lot of influencers who actually don't like being called an influencer. So yeah, we also have it oftentimes that we kind of discuss, is it, is it a content creator, just a creator, or how can we call them? The, that makes it kind of satisfying to everyone. But I think it shouldn't be something that the influencers themselves should uh, not call themselves or a word that they should be afraid of. I think it's up to us as uh, to develop kind of a marketing standard and say there's nothing wrong with being an influencer. And it's an actually powerful word and a powerful term. So I think everybody out there, 71% of them who said they don't like the name, nothing to be ashamed. It's, a, I think, a very good, uh, yeah. good title. Yeah, I think that the, the word influencer itself not being accepted, um, I think the influencers are like the first people to start accepting that term exactly. and to actually perceive it as a compliment if somebody refers to them as an influencer. Because, you know, that's also the definition of an influencer. You can label yourself. Uh, other people can label you as influential to their opinion. So that's how you become an influencer when other people perceive you in that way. So I think it starts with them to accept that word. Indeed. And it's also like content creator is something different than an influencer. So we also have to put up maybe a kind of a description behind it and what so we can call it what it is. And the influencer yeah. is an influencer. Content creator is something else. So... I think first we have to kind of break that negative 
connotation behind it and start accepting it. There's nothing yeah. wrong with the word influencer. Yeah, no, especially now since I think it's since April of 2019 that influencer is an actual word in the English dictionary. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so uh, I think that we should yeah totally accept it. Maybe we should like say influencer entrepreneur and then they will find it more more pleasing to <laughs> the area. It maybe. sounds stronger indeed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so moving on to the next section of the newsletter, um, which were some interesting reads. So let's talk about uh, how Instagram influencers are changing the restaurant industry. Uh, there was an article on tampabay.com on how Instagram influencers are changing uh, restaurants and how restaurant owners use influencers for their business. Well, I read through it and you might hear me in this background flipping through pages. I did my homework on it. There's some very interesting points in it. Uh, and we at Influ also have experience with uh, campaigns regarding restaurants. And I think, of course, it's for restaurant owners, something and for chefs, for example, there was a written also in this article that they find it irritating and it drives them nuts when they see people like uh, having their food, food turn cold by the time they take a picture. Uh, but there is a very much an added bonus with using influencers to grow a, a restaurant. There's a lot of competition out there, so you need to you need to step up your game. And I think influencers are very good uh, added value there. Um, and there's like kind of, I think, a trend now with people who open restaurants that they focus really how is this going to look on Instagram, that it's kind of an Instagram friendly architecture and interior. And I think there was a, a reference in the article called it vertical plate. So the focus on how the food looks and the interior, they need to ask themselves, does this look really good on Instagram? I find it very fascinated. But indeed, it's kind of a habit that we all have. It's not just influencers. When we go somewhere to eat, we post a picture of it, we share it, uh, we kind of want to share experiences and impact in, uh, other people and recommend when something is good. So it was very interesting to read about that. It's also very interesting to read in the same article that uh, it talks about nano influencers, so smaller influencers and how they hit the sweet spot. It's something that goes through all the articles in the newsletter and I really like that, the focus on the importance of nano and small influencers. We definitely put two thumbs up there. Um, and I think the most relevant conclusion in there is to know that influencers are not food critics. So if you do invite an influencer over, it will always be a positive review. They're never going to say something negative about your restaurant, which also means that the influencers have to be open towards their community and say that they were invited, that there was kind of a hashtag ad situation happening. Mm -hmm. So to disclose it. But again, people who follow influencers uh, need to know they're just there because it's cool. It's awesome. It's a hip place. They want to be the first one to try it. So they're not food critics or sommeliers or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's very interesting. And also from our experience, when it comes to inviting influencers to a restaurant, it's a, a really great way to work with them because you can really cross a lot of boards and a lot of audiences. You can work with students, you can work with employed people, you can work with somebody yeah, looking for the best spot for a first date. So there's a lot of different audiences, which is not something that can be applied to, for example, the beauty industry. Yeah. So there's like a very large scope of influencers you can work with. So we think from our experience here at Influo, go for it, you know, use influencers. Uh, and develop a strategy around it. Are you going to do a cool event at a restaurant? Are you just going to invite them and let them eat? Or are you going to do this on a long term? There's definitely some strategizing around it, but there's no doubt about it when it comes to uh, yeah, hospitality and influencers. It's a match made in heaven. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think like uh, restaurants is one of those examples of where you basically sell a product um, 
that is quite easy maybe to start with influencer marketing because your product is not worth 500 euros unless you're like a superstar Indeed, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michelin uh, restaurant. So which means that you can start doing influencer marketing by just providing a free dinner or free lunch to one influencer and a couple of his friends, which will also mean that you will start working with the smaller influencers who don't demand cash to, exactly, to come yeah. somewhere. So I think it's a pretty easy, pretty easy starting point to dive into influencer marketing as a restaurant owner. Indeed, it's a very good way to have a very good return on investment because as you said, it's not a very huge investment, but it really brings very good results in. So yeah. if there are any restaurant owners out there listening, we definitely recommend using influencer marketing as a very good uh, marketing strategy. Yeah. And maybe as an extra note for um, restaurant owners, I think um, starting in French marketing, I think there's a process that should go um, before that. As we all already mentioned it, that your restaurant should promote or motivate your clients to post about it, about their experience. So it should be Instagrammable. And you can definitely motivate that. For example, putting the hashtag and the, the keywords that you want them to, to use on, on socials, put that on a menu card um, or make a wall where you show all the Instagram posts. You can really motivate not only influencers, but your customers in general to share their experience on, uh, on social media. Indeed, yeah. Put a, put a kind of a poster in the corner. I was at a restaurant the other day. Also, had, they had those counters like Instagram, Facebook uh, likes. It's very interactive, very interesting to get uh, more audience to follow you. So yeah, there are ways to work with it. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the next section, uh, industry news. So there was a lot of interesting news this week, but um, let's talk about how much fashion and beauty influencers uh, get paid per post. So factors like exclusivity, usage rights of the content and the length of a campaign could bump up the price of an Instagram post. That was a very interesting article and it's kind of like a billion dollar question, how much to pay an influencer? <laughs> and for me as an influencer marketing manager, it's kind of like if I had a dime every single time I heard a question. <laughs> um, but I think it's also very interesting in the article is that they, they was written from the point of influencers. So they talked to influencers and asked them, hey, how much you charge? But they also talked to like experts and there were some quotes I like to emphasize, for example, as it was before, the emphasis on the nano-influencers. So Kaylee Reed, who is an influencer marketing consultant, she said, uh, I've paid with influencers that have as few as a thousand followers uh, and she's more likely to pay them regardless of their size if she already has a relationship with them and knows and trusts them. And I think this is very, very important to keep in mind because a lot of marketing managers just throw piles of money at influencers and think that's kind of going to be this magical solution. But you need to build a community first and that will also, of course, impact how much money you're going to pay them. Of course, over a length of time, as the influencer becomes an ambassador, you can switch that cash fee for maybe exclusivity, products, etc. So there's kind of a balance to be found here. But also, again, the article even later says from Emma Grace, uh, who is a coordinator for influencers and brands. And she says also micro and nano influencers provide the best ROI. Uh, I think that proves also what we've been saying for from the beginning. It's not about the size of the influencer. It's about how much connectivity the influencer has with their with their audience. And that brings a much better ROI because the smaller the influencer, the more engaged the audience is. So there, there is definitely better return on investment there. Um, just to go through a couple of examples of the influencers that talk about their fees, uh, there's an influencer, Tommy, here, and she says that brands have realized that a large following doesn't automatically uh, equal engagement. And I think that's very much true. She has a very big uh, audience, but she knows that that's not where her strength is. It's with her connection towards the audience. 
Um, the others talk about the same principle. And again, there's like kind of not a specific secret formula, how much to pay an influencer. Uh, and I think it's for us also kind of a touch and go situation. Uh, when we set up a big campaigns, we first discuss and debate and then try it out, invest part of a budget. Uh, there is a certain standard that we have, but it depends on many factors. Uh, what is the appeal of the brand? Is it a very exclusive or a very common brand? Is it something that's very personal or is it very boring or interesting? Uh, there are a lot of brands out there that you have to put a little bit more cash budget into it in order to motivate the influencer to talk about it. So there's like a thousand factors. And I think for any brand listening out there who wants to try to figure out the magical formula, there is none. I think try and see how the influencer responds and who do you want to work with? Is it a big influencer or smaller? Is it an event? Is it a product? What can you offer? Kind of try it, give it some time. Influencer marketing is not an overnight game. I think it's kind of takes a lot of time. Maybe it will take you a year before you figure out your strategy. So focus on that. Try it, kind of trial and error thing. Yeah. And as you just meant to mention, there is no magic formula. Um, so we definitely get the question, how much should I pay influencers to get that? A lot from uh, from brands, but mm. we also get that question a lot from influencers themselves. Yeah, how yeah. much should I should I ask for a post or should I ask for uh, what I'm doing for brands? So how should the influencer approach their fees that they're asking to brands? I think they need to be in the beginning a bit realistic about it. If they're just a starting influencer, they shouldn't expect high fees. Uh, I think they also need to figure out what they're comfortable with, how much content they can produce, uh, how engaged is your audience with this product versus that one. And once they kind of know a little bit more about themselves as content creators and about your audience, then they can try to start applying some industry standards. Uh, there's talk about $100 per thousand followers. Maybe you can work around that. Uh, but as I said, even for influencer, it's kind of a touch and go. But there's an influencer in this article. Her name is Emma Cortez, and she simply says, influencers should not be afraid uh, to ask to be paid. And I think that's totally fair. If you think you have a value, I mean, you invest time into creating your content, you're offering your network, your expertise, then just ask. And it's also totally fine if you have other influencers in your network that you know, ask them for advice. What do they charge? What do they think? Until you kind of develop a standard for yourself. And of course, as you grow, it's pretty much with any kind of talent out there is be it a musician or an actor. Nobody has a, a fixed fee for everyone. It depends on a lot of factors. So yeah, I can say do, do this amount of money for this kind of campaign. Fix your standard fee, like this is the minimum that I work for and then apply maybe some extras. Okay, I have to create a video that costs more. I have to create several posts that costs more. This is maybe a little bit out of my comfort zone. So I'm gonna apply a different fee and kind of try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But it's also for brands, they shouldn't be afraid to ask and definitely, um, yeah, if an influencer proposes a fee, go with it. You know, you need to accept it. There is an investment to be made, which is a lot of brands think that influencer marketing is cheap solution. It is cheaper compared to traditional media. That is definitely true, but it doesn't come for free. Mm -hmm. There is investment there to be made and you just need to pay the price for it because it just it works. It simply works and it's worth to make that investment. Yeah, yeah for brands, they should make it work because influencer marketing is not or paid media or it's earned media. Yeah. It's a little bit of both. And it's about leveraging your collaborations with influencers for both your owned media, your earned media and your paid media. Exactly. I think for each brand, they just need to try it, give it some time. 
figure out what fees they can afford, of course, be logical about it, but then just know that there is a certain investment that needs to be made. There are a lot of brands who come to Influo and say, hey, I want to do a campaign, but only have 10 euro budget. And it doesn't work like that. You need to have something there because you're still paying somebody for their work, for their talent, their knowledge, their time, etc. Mm-hmm. So even if you go to a traditional advertising agency, you pay for their expertise and knowledge and creativity. So now you're just doing it at a, a kind of a smaller scale, but equally effective. Yeah, that's also an advice I often give to brands is uh, if they're asking themselves, how much should I pay them? Then well, make the comparison. How much would you pay a freelancer or an agency? Exactly. Yeah. And see what makes sense there. And that's probably a good benchmark to start uh, to start thinking about it. I maybe quickly wanted to touch upon a, a trend that we saw here in Belgium, maybe. I, I think other countries probably also saw that, that trend within the influencer community, that they artificially try to inflate their rates by doing um, like fake sponsored oh, posts. Yeah. They would do a branded or they do they, yeah, they would do a branded post, but it would not actually be a collaboration. They would just fake that there was a collaboration there with, for example, Adidas or Nike, so they could wheel in the more smaller brands as like their first collaborations. I think it's a very creative way to try to fool the brands. I'll give them that. Uh, I think it's because now we can easily spot fake followers and bots, pods, etc. So I think kind of using fake brands is brilliant in a way, but also very much wrong. And there's no actually way to find out if an influencer actually did a collaboration with that brand. But I think it's also like for brands, be protective and a little bit kind of look at it twice to be sure. Mm-hmm. And if you see a very small influencer, but a very major brand in collaboration, that something is off there. You know, mm-hmm. a big Nike brand is not going to work with a super small influencer. Mm-hmm. So there might be something off there. So yeah, don't take, take everything with a grain of salt, as they would say. But yeah, yeah that's happening as well right now. <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to the next article. That was one on news5cleveland.com where they talked to Rebecca Gordon and uh, Shay, uh, Shay from Breedy Bar in uh, Lakewood and Westlake. So their brands and business are, are worlds apart, but uh, one thing the two have in common is how social media and specifically Instagram and Facebook uh, has helped them grow their, their startup business. So they, uh, they said that the world of social media influencing and advertising in general uh, is more real as uh, other forms of, uh, of advertising. And they also testified that more than half of people coming to their cooking classes and events, that they come um, after seeing their social media presence. Is that something that we hear from brands more often, that they get inflow of leads and customers coming from their social media presence? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially for smaller businesses, I think influencer marketing is very effective because smaller businesses don't have the media budget, you know, like bigger corporation, bigger brands. So it's kind of a more cost effective way to start marketing. Uh, and there's definitely a, a benefit from it. You just need to be strate- strategic about it, smart, offer discounts, offer coupons, etc., uh, to attract new customers to it. And they said, like, if they reach 100 people and maybe 10 sign up, that's 10 paying customers. So for smaller business, definitely, I think the most effective way to start is influencer marketing. And then, of course, apply other marketing strategy once you grow and have more, uh, more budget available to yeah. you. Yeah, basically leverage the waves that influencers can create to start uh, building your own presence on social media. Exactly, yeah. Um, are there maybe specific tactics that you could use in working with an influencer to 
push your own follower growth more compared to more other campaign formats? I think the most effective way is to do kind of like giveaways. Those work really well where you incent the audience to follow your account as well. Uh, so the influencer and your brand account. But you need to keep in mind here, normally after the giveaway is done, the, the follow ratio drops. But you kind of have that window of opportunity there. For example, if your giveaway is lasting for two weeks, then you have those two weeks to wheel them in. So produce interesting content that will make your audience stay uh, as follower of your account. So definitely take that time to produce content that's interesting enough. Uh, and then, yeah, if the more followers to stay, the more potential customers there are. Yeah. So that giveaway really works for kind of like working with coupons uh, or simply producing content that is relevant to the audience. Yeah, under the slogan of asking for engagement, yeah. that's definitely okay to organize such giveaways, competitions and... I mean, everybody knows what it's for. It's, it's not a secret. Everybody yeah. knows that this here is the point of growing social media accounts, but you can make the best out of it. If you gain a hundred followers and 50 still stay after that, that's 50 people that you're one step closer to converting into a customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So let's move on to the next article, which was one on futureproofingcoms.co.uk. And they launched a guide addressing the need for influential marketing governance in public relations. Um, so they, they also talk about what departments in a company should own influential marketing, which is definitely a hot topic or something that you know companies should consider on where will they allocate influential marketing, basically, who, who owns influential marketing, which department is it? Um, and so they, they said in their conversations with the influencers that they were told that the best uh, relationships uh, with the best results rely on true collaborations where both parties understand and respect the other's uh, strength. So which department do you think understands the uh, influencer best? Is it the PR department or is it the marketing department? I will go for PR. I think definitely there's because PR is a, is a people's business more closer to the influencers. Normally, from what we see, it's the PR agencies that manage the majority of the influencer uh, uh, partnerships because they more understand how influencer works. They understand social media better as well. Uh, and influencer marketing is more about the, yeah, the normal people. Well, marketing might be more advanced when it comes to SEO needs, etc. Uh, so I think it's the people's business is the PR side. So definitely... I think the PR should be in charge of influencer marketing. Yeah. I think that's also where it mainly got started when bloggers came up like, what, 10, 15 years ago. There were also the PR departments who were managing these bloggers next to the journalists. So yeah. influencer marketing really gained weight or gained uh, or earned its revolution uh, under, the marketing, under the PR department. Excuse me. Um, now, one of the things that, that we also often say is that um, that it's... Influential marketing hasn't evolved yet to try and formulate a definition for it on what is influential marketing. Um, what we do often say is that advertising should not be part of the definition uh, if you would create a definition for influential marketing. Um, and I think that's because advertisers really start with the wrong intention by yeah. working with influencers. They, don't, they just want a paid uh, Instagram post and pay them a, a They want to get it done very quickly, just yeah. throw some money at it and think that it doesn't work like that. Yeah. No. Yeah, they don't see all the different challenges that can be met by working with influencers. Yeah, with a, with an ad, you can simply kind of have like maybe a weak strategy, etc. But with influ influencer marketing, you need a very long term involvement, and that's why it's better with PR departments as well. Yeah, it's a long haul, not a not a short term solution. Yeah. So in the article, it's it's pretty well summarized when they mentioned marketing approaches, influencer marketing from the perspective of high control and low trust. 
where PR deals with it in low control and high trust. So marketing is short-term and tactical and public relations is long-term and strategic. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a pretty good uh, summary of the, of the article and yeah. where it's... It's a very interesting read. It's, it's a lot to go through, but definitely a couple of very interesting notes. So if you haven't had a chance, don't skip through it. Definitely go for it. Yeah. And they also mentioned the importance of, of the advertising guidelines and how influencers should notify the consumer or their followers that something has been uh, paid for. Uh, that's definitely a hot topic with, very much with so. companies, uh, especially if they're increasing budgets and they start wondering about their liability and how they how they can be liable it, it has more risk it has more risk now than it than it has before because yeah as you said they're more liable There's, there are huge fines and fees in place uh, across the world uh, so yeah we we i think it's not something that just is about fines and fees i think it's about transparency uh, influencers need to take ownership of disclosing hashtag ad or similar hashtags and basically brand collaborations I think it gives them credibility because when they do say that, uh, it's not going to impact the audience saying, oh, they were paid to promote it. It's not like that. They're just telling you that they're working on this promotion together with the brand. And if you know that an influencer will never promote a brand they don't stand behind, then yeah, you shouldn't mind the hashtag ad. They deserve uh, a fee or a budget for their work in it, but their recommendation still stays true. Mm. Yeah, I think in general, it's important to follow those uh, advertising guidelines. I think it's specifically important if you're addressing more of a younger audience where you're kind of talking to maybe yeah, people who are just mm -hmm. very young and uh, are not yet very aware on how to position the, that content that mm -hmm. you see. So I think in those industries, it's specifically important to, to follow the, the guidelines. Um, what I think is, is pretty complicated because here in, in Belgium, we also had the situation where we did not have... Uh, guidelines who basi that basically interpreted the advertising laws on how the influence marketing industry should follow the advertising guidelines. So that's a process that Belgium went through uh, in the course of 2018 on writing out those guidelines. And I think we were, we were closely involved in that process of uh, writing it out and we did the analysis, okay, what countries already wrote such guidelines and what are the trends on, um, on uh, if they approached it on how they did that. And I think the, the essence of such guidelines is how do you um, distinguish free speech with advertising? Mm -hmm. So when does something become branded content? Um, is it because you received something or is it because there was you know, a, a, fixed, um, a fixed agreement on what should be posted? So that was really interesting on how different countries approach that, uh, those guidelines. And I think Belgium did a fairly good job uh, by uh, making that the s the like the real core of the advertising guidelines they made they basically made uh, two conditions and if these two conditions are met then you're probably talking about advertising and it should be um, clarified as an advertisement as such so the first condition is that the influencer should uh, or received a payment or remuneration so even if you give them a product that's worth 50 cents and that will be met so that's the first condition is always always met uh, and the second condition is that the advertiser um, has a influence or has a, um, <laughs> pun intended maybe there, um, or has a, a clear say in what the message or the keywords uh, will be that the influencer will be posting. 
so if there's a clear agreement on you should use these keywords and these hashtags, then if uh, that's also met, then you're probably talking about an advertisement. Um, so I think that's the, that was the focus point of Belgium on uh, making the distinguish between free speech and, uh, and hashtag advert and, and, and an advertisement. Uh, so I hope many other countries will follow on creating their own guidelines in the future. Yeah, it's still a work in process for Belgium, but we're getting there. Yeah. So um, I think we're, end. Yeah, we're almost uh, out of time here. So uh, <laughs> the last part of this Influence Weekly is a special report from uh, Mirindi Jackson, who attended the Digital Summit Boston. Um, but last week uh, has been a busy week in influencer land because uh, there was also influence marketing show in London. And you, Luca, you attended it. Yes, I did. <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell the listeners a bit more uh, on what you learned during this two-day conference? Well, there were a lot of keynotes and a lot of learnings, but uh, I'm going to summarize the most relevant for me. Uh, first of all, I'm, this is a quote-unquote, just people don't buy products, they buy experiences. And that's kind of like a revelation because... When you get a product, normally just say to the influencer, apply this product. I don't know if it's a skincare, uh, take a picture of it and say why it's great. And now it's more of a focus of the emotion of a product, kind of love, self-care, sharing, gifting, etc. And I think this is going to very much impact how we also do our campaigns, focusing on emotion related to a certain product or service and not just on the product itself. Because seeing kind of flat lays of skincare or clothes, uh, outfit posts, it's kind of passe and it's overdone. Uh, and second thing I think also very relevant is long-term partnership. Uh, partnerships as a solution. I think it shows that doing campaigns like once a month doesn't work anymore. You need to find influencers who you can partner with for a year, for example, and work long-term with them because it simply has an added value. After a while, the audience will be familiar with your product uh, and the influencer will gain credibility when they talk about your product because people are going to continuously see it. Yeah. So I think those two for me are, are the most relevant. Of course, there's a lot of other discussions about budgets and metrics, etc. Um, I think there will be there will be more information on their website from IMS. Uh, so definitely recommend checking it out. It's a very interesting uh, event. So all those who have an opportunity, I think next year again to go to London, definitely uh, definitely go for it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we want to thank Andrew very much for letting us host this uh, this weekly podcast. So make sure you subscribe to his newsletter, Influence Weekly, because there are some real gems in there every week. Uh, and if you're interested to, to learn more about uh, Influo or influencer marketing, you can find us on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. Just type in Influo. Uh, you can find me, Luca Host, that's L-U-K-A-H-O-S-T, or uh, Martin. Yeah, which is M-A-A-R-T-E-N-K-E-S-T-E-L-O-O-T, Martin Kestelut. So thank you so much for listening and uh, talk to you guys soon. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Have a good day.